Developing human capital, including better learning, health and livelihood for people, is essential for productivity and equitable economic growth for our society. However, human capital has recently been hit with devastating blows because of conflict and war, climate change and the COVID-19 pandemic. How do we recover and rise above this? You're listening to Beyond Business with Vatsila, a series that goes above the realms of strategy and operations and seeks to find solutions to our global problems. Hello everyone, I am your host Atte Palomäki and today Anu Madgavkar, partner at McKinsey Global Institute, joins me from New Jersey, USA. Anu is an expert on labor markets, the future of work, gender economics and also advises business and government leaders on inclusive development. Warmly welcome, Anu. Thank you for having me. Anu, World Bank data suggests that nearly 60% of children born today will at best be only half as productive as they could be with complete education and full health. What does this mean for countries and the economies? So every human being has human capital, but the degree to which people have access to education, schooling, health and the like definitely affects their potential. And the World Bank data you refer to is really a measure of how far people are from the frontier of human capital potential. Unfortunately, much of the world is still some distance away from that frontier because they don't have the requisite schooling and health. But even so, even with the capabilities that people do possess today, Human capital matters in potential value terms. By our estimates, it's about two-thirds of all an individual's average wealth or net worth really comes from the human capital they possess, which represents a stream of future earnings. But realizing this value depends not just on the inputs of schooling and health, but also how productively these are deployed in the workplace, how well they're put to use once people enter the workforce. And could one put a figure on this delta of 40%? Well, if you think about the fact that human capital today is about two-thirds of our wealth, you would expect that this number could maybe rise proportionately or double. And that number would run into possibly several hundred trillions of dollars of value globally. Yeah, that's really a massive sum. Since social and economic developments are so inherently linked, it also means that we have a big window of opportunity here and we can make really things better. So what are the main roadblocks for developing human capital? If you think about the roadblocks, a lot of these come from the context in which individuals live, learn and work. And this context is different depending on your life stage. If you think about early childhood, the access to things like nutrition, or protection from disease affect the ability of a community to build its human capital or for children growing up there to do so. The kind of values, attributes, and positive attitudes even that families or households or societies reinforce in children affects their long-term human capital. Similarly, in education, it's the quality of education. And across much of this, I think the three core barriers that we often encounter are access, affordability, and quality. And access is determined both by level of income, but also societal attitudes that, for example, in many parts of the world, the enrollment of girls in higher education is lower than that of boys, and that's a societal barrier that comes in the way. 
affordability is an issue even in some advanced economies like the US where a rising cost of education has eaten into incomes and therefore represents a trade off or a challenge for households and then the quality of education and its degree of relevance to the skills of the future is the other big challenge so there are a variety of barriers but they are complex they derive from both family society as well as other institutions that surround individuals as they develop their human capital so most studies suggest that if we invest in human capital development now and design programs in a better way we can as a society yield better returns in the near future and you already alluded to some quite massive sums so the business case seems quite clear so what's stopping us from investing more in this area Well the reality is that spending for education has been rising around the world it's not rising evenly it's rising much faster in emerging and developing countries that have a gap that they need to bridge but it's growing as much as 6% per year in countries in emerging economies around 3% per year globally now when you look at who's actually spending and investing in human capital development particularly in education it's largely dominated by government spending except in lower income countries where governments don't have the resources and private households spend what they can which is typically less than what they need to so one big constraint is the lack of resources in many parts of the world the other big constraint is the extent of disparity that exists which is that some countries and then some income segments and then some social strata are left behind and some of these gaps are widening rather than narrowing and so you don't have an even pattern of increase in investment in human capital and that's a big concern as we think about creating more opportunity and equalizing other outcomes that we all aspire to in society What role should the private sector companies around the world play in it and why must they also care about human capital? We feel quite strongly that companies or business enterprises in general have a large and in fact outsized role in developing human capital. If you think about the working life of the average individual that's probably around 30 years or more and therefore there's a long life span that we spend at work relative to the 15 or 20 years plus that we might spend in the educational system we've looked at this stage of human capital accumulation very closely in our research and what it suggests is that roughly half of all lifetime earnings for the average individual across a range of countries stems from the skills and human capital that they build through their work life through their working years the skills that they acquire the skills that they hone and improve or even skills that they might possess but then are discovered and put to work in a productive and creative way while they're in the workplace so education is foundational but skills that you develop or acquire through work are up to half or more of lifetime earnings and if you think about the context there much like the family in early childhood the context later is really all about the organization or the business enterprise in which most people find and spend their working years so in your mind what would be the top three things that enterprises could do to handle human capital better well i think the first is really 
to view people in terms of their potential. People possess skills and more importantly, people can acquire skills well beyond what they currently do. And it's an important mindset for organizations and companies to think about recognizing and harnessing that potential. The second would be to focus on coaching and apprenticeship. And here I mean helping people learn while they're actually performing their jobs. And this is important because such learning while you're actually doing is deeper, it's more experiential, and it's stickier. It actually lasts. And by the way, it pays back faster because it's directly applied. And the third thing I would say is just embrace mobility. Why is that? Because change in what you do is a fundamental aspect of the labor market, but it's also a fundamental way in which human capital gets built. It will not get built without change. People changing roles, learning new things. And companies should understand that, embrace that mobility, and provide greater opportunities for people, both inside their organizations as well as externally, to explore change and realize their own potential that way. Absolutely. That brings us to career moves and career opportunities. We will discuss why jobs and career movements are an important part of human capital development in just a bit. Don't go away. Anu, you have recently analyzed work histories of more than a million workers in the United States, the UK, Germany, India. From a human capital perspective, what were the key learnings? We studied de-identified work histories of a very large number of people, maybe four million or so individuals who have publicly posted their professional profiles and work journeys online. And we did this across a range of countries, the US, the UK, Germany, and India. And we were able to trace what roles they played over time, how they changed and moved into new roles, what skills those roles required, and therefore what skills these individuals actually either developed or put to work. And also to understand what sorts of salaries or incomes they might have earned as they moved through their various role and career trajectories. So based on this very large-scale study, we found that if you think about these individuals and look at their overall lifetime earnings potential, roughly half of that comes from skills that people have not necessarily shown in their first job, but these are skills that they have acquired and developed and put to work while they're going through work experience. So as they accumulate work experience, they accumulate new skills, and half of all their earnings are really attributable to this process of new skills that they develop while at work. And this is a very large number, and it was actually quite consistent as we looked at the US, the UK, and Germany, roughly 40 to 45% of lifetime earnings on average came from skills acquired during work. Of course, there is a range across different types of occupations and so on. But the sheer quantum of human capital accumulation that happens at work, I think, was the primary finding of this research. How would you characterize the role between skills acquired at work and studies, which is more important? First of all, education is foundational. 
you not only learn knowledge but you also learn how to learn and that stays with you through life so we don't undermine the importance of education second it's certainly true that people with greater educational and higher educational degrees end up with higher lifetime earnings so that is certainly the case as well but that said what we found interesting is that some people defy these odds so just because you've entered the workforce with less education doesn't mean that you need to be stuck in an income bracket that's lower in fact we found 20 to 25% of workers who come in with less than a college degree let's say an associate degree are actually able to reach the median income of somebody with a higher educational qualification like a master's degree holder and similarly roughly 20% of those who come in with just high school education are able to beat the odds and move their incomes up to the median or average level of somebody with a bachelor's degree so we're interested in what has enabled such upward mobility it's not everybody who has been able to do that but it's interesting to look at those stories to look at those journeys and try and find out what characterized people who are able to move up and what learnings there might be there for companies employers as well as policy makers and individuals themselves So could you elaborate a bit on what are the key findings characteristics there and would you have any examples to share? Well we find that these profiles which were more upwardly mobile basically were able to harness the power of change in two ways they made more moves in terms of moving into new roles and doing different things but more importantly each time they made a move it represented a larger skill leap and we call it skill distance we look at the skills that each role requires relative to the skills that you deployed or used in your previous role and that distance which is kind of the leap you make to do things which you weren't doing before that distance is actually higher on average for people who've climbed up the income curve faster so the ability to make those bold moves is what differentiates them and on average this skill distance that we quantify is anything from 25 to 45% but it's typically a little bit higher than that for those who've moved upwards as much as 50 to 60% each time they make a role move going back to the balance of uh, work experience and education looking at the different geographies apparently in less developed countries in asia and africa poor access to education weighs down heavily on human capital development so is then the work experience more important in societies of that nature that's absolutely correct we find that people with less education are in fact more reliant on work experience to discover their potential somebody who comes in as let's say a surgeon with an advanced medical degree or a phd researcher already signals a lot of their market value through the credentials they've acquired through education and overall they end up earning more but they have a very significant ability like a starting point that already signals and locks in much of their future value on the other hand somebody like a stonemason 
or somebody working as a sous chef in a restaurant or a customer sales representative in a retail store enters the workforce with very few credentials they're not able to signal their value they learn a lot and develop their value while they're at work and it's for this reason that we found in the four countries we studied we did find that in india which has on average lower educational attainment the share of work experience is higher it's as much as almost 60% relative to the 40 to 45% we saw in the uk the us and germany how does the value of experience play out in the age of the great resignation is jumping jobs or changing careers a good or bad thing in realizing one's true potential anu will tell us right after this short break stay tuned Anu, most people switch jobs for more money and better prospects. What does your analysis reveal about this as far as development of human capital being concerned? What we found is that people do want more money. There's no doubt about that. But that's not the only thing they want. Uh, we surveyed employees who'd left their employers and those who had returned to their employers but might consider leaving again or were considering what they wanted to do we found that compensation mattered a lot but the desire for better and more career development and opportunities for career advancement typically figures in the top 3 reasons for either leaving or coming back or considering leaving again so this is something that i think employers have are beginning to understand but they haven't fully acted on the implications of that or the opportunity that that represents and when we look at the big data analysis we did of all those millions of work histories it tells us the same thing that when people move they actually move to do things that help them raise their incomes and that that's actually a powerful motivation for them to move but 80% of all the moves in the sample we looked at was actually across organizations it wasn't a role move within your own organization but you typically left your company to join another company it also tells you that there's an opportunity on the table for employers to harness this desire for career development but to make it possible for people to do that within your own company uh, and if you can do that presumably your attrition challenge can be addressed uh, beyond the levers of just compensation and more money you spoke about leaping out of one's comfort zone and taking risks as a potential of expanding one's opportunities how would you say that now in this rapidly moving working life with the great resignation hybrid work and project management is that becoming even more important than before we are seeing a sort of great reset if you will where people are using all the disruptions that they're seeing in the labor market to step back pause and consider what they really want to do or something they may have always wanted to try and feel that now is the right time to try it um and you find that people are quitting even without another job in hand or a lot of people are quitting because they want to try something like a startup or something that might have enabled uh, involved too much risk earlier but they're actually willing to take it now and again when we looked at the work histories over an average of about 10 or or more years in our sample there are several 
personas or types of people and their risk appetite or their risk preference is very clear in the kind of journey they've pursued some have taken the opportunity to to do these bold moves very early in their career others have waited and tried to do them much later some have consistently done bold moves and others have held back and made only very tentative move into adjacent areas so personas and risk appetites do vary i do think risk appetite has gone up uh in the recent past but i think it's also important to acknowledge that a lot of personal circumstances affect a person's ability to take those risks uh a worker who has financial resources or family support can take risks far more easily than someone who doesn't or someone who has professional networks will find those opportunities and be successful much more easily than someone who doesn't so we can't attribute all this to individual autonomy and choice there's a lot of personal circumstance that shapes the degree to which people can take these risks so what does this trend of people taking a pause and looking at their potential opportunities tell you about employers and the perception that employees have about them i'm sure you'll appreciate the old abba song take a chance on me and this is really a good reminder to the employer that they need to have that mindset of taking a chance on people people want to give themselves a second chance or a third chance or a chance to do something different and organizations can help de-risk these moves and how do you do that both by seeing people for their potential rather than just typecasting them into what they've already done but also de-risking the move by making the onboarding and the early stages of a person in their new role very well supported and well mentored whether this is somebody who's entering the workforce for the first time or even somebody moving into a new role the role of that new manager in the first few months and the first year of of the person moving into that role is critical and sets the person up for success or otherwise and so it's important to say well what can we do to de-risk people from making those moves and that enhances the reputation and the ability of the company then to attract people who want to try these new things and finally to wrap it up how does one know the true value or realize the full potential of his or her job and in this context how important is it to choose one's jobs carefully the importance of work experience in realizing your potential or high quality work experience in realizing your potential cannot be understated what does high quality work experience mean and we measured that in terms of how much companies invest in training also how much of internal mobility and opportunity creation companies do because some of this data is disclosed now by companies more and more uh, and we also measured companies in terms of their overall organizational culture or their ability to create an environment in which learning can flourish and we found that people who had passed through such companies early on in their careers had a better chance of being upwardly mobile so it's quite important as an individual for each and every one of us to think about making those choices about where we work based on what learning the potential employer is able to offer in terms of training mobility and overall culture and learning and it's it's not just the largest or best known companies that do well at this in our sample it's there are a lot of mid sized companies that 
really do create these learning opportunities. But it's important for individuals to see and go in search of such experiences. Indeed. Thank you, Anu, for this captivating discussion. It was really a true pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed talking to you and I hope uh, your listeners log into our research that will be available shortly on the McKinsey Global Institute website. And thank you, listeners. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and share it. I am Atte Palamäki and today we went Beyond Business. You've been listening to Beyond Business with Vatsila. This podcast is produced by Spoon Finland and recorded on location in Helsinki.